0: Good morning, Christ Church. My name is Paul Fowler. I am our Lake Forest campus pastor. Thank you for being here today and a special greetings to those of you watching online. Today, we're going to be talking about God's power. To do that, I want to start off by asking you a question. What would you do if you had power? And I'll define it as this, the ability to do whatever you wanted to do, whenever you wanted to do it, because it's just what you want to do. What would you do if you had power? Think about this in your workplace. What would you do if you had power in your workplace to do whatever you wanted to do? Definitely give yourself a raise. Obviously promotion, right? You're hard and you deserve it. Um, get rid of those annoying coworkers, maybe some of those annoying employees, right? Just make the workplace a much better place. What about in your relationships? Man, if you had the power in your relationships, think about your marriage or the person you're dating. Wouldn't it be great just to make a few little changes you know, make some adjustments, but do know they're thinking about how they're going to change you. Think about your kids. Wow, man, I have a list that I could do, right? All the things that I could change about my kids. The kids are saying, huh oh, if I could change my parents, it'd be a much better place. It's all their fault. Think about this world, all the things that are happening and going on. There'd be maybe a lot of good things that we could do, you know, world peace and global hunger. But it's also likely that you can make things a bit more efficient so that they'd work your way. I do want to distinguish this from freedom. I think freedom is similar to power, but freedom is more you're free to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it because that's what you want. But unlike power, well, you're free to do whatever you want in this world. But now I'm not saying that about anybody in here. Depending on what you decide to do, you could go to jail. You could be in trouble. You, might try, you have the freedom to do whatever you want in your workplace. They'll probably get rid of you, depending on what it is. Freedom in your relationships, well, they might get rid of you too, depending on what you try to change. You don't have the power. You have the freedom, but you don't have the power. I always think it's a bit short-sighted, all these superhero films that are out there today, that if there was someone out there that had these superpowers, they'd use it for all of us, and they'd be so humble They wouldn't really tell anybody their real identity. Right? That's a joke. How often do people use their power, honestly, to really benefit the whole entire world? Generally, and historically speaking, it seems like those that have power use it for their own benefit. We kind of see this playing out on a global stage right now. There is someone that has power to do whatever they want to do, and it seems like they want to attack another country. And as much as all the other powers say, no, you can't do that, Well, we don't have the power to stop that person. They keep going. So it seems like most often that those that are in power are going to protect their power, going to keep their power, preserve their power. It's not really good for us. But what about God? We believe that he has power. God can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it because that's what he wants. But what is God doing with his power? How is God's power benefiting you? Do you know what God has done because of his power for you? Well, that's what we want to look today as we consider God's power, how that makes a difference in our relationships, in our world, at our jobs, whatever it may be. What is God's power doing? Now, I do want to say maybe you're sitting here and saying, well, maybe God is not that powerful or he's not good. There's war, there's suffering. I've had difficulties in my marriage. I've had difficulties in my life. Is it possible that perhaps God isn't good or he's not powerful enough? Well, to understand what God is doing with his power and to answer those questions, we have to go to God's word. So today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, we're going to be looking at verse 3 through 23 in Ephesians chapter 1 as we try to consider what is God doing with his power? What does he want to do with his power? What has he already done? Before I start reading from verse three, one thing that I do want to say is whenever you're studying the scriptures, you have to know what genre of biblical literature that you're in. Is it a narrative? Is it telling a story? Are we looking at characters in conflict as we understand it? Is it poetry? We're looking for imagery and how it connects. The book of Ephesians is what's called the epistles. And the epistles are the genre that you could call discourse or like a, a lecture. It's someone that's kind of making an argument and making a point. The book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. The epistles is what they call the book of Ephesians uh, as a group are the letters that were written to the early church. So what are we looking for? We're trying to understand the structure. What is the argument that Paul is trying to make? What you don't want to do whenever you're studying one of the epistles is try to take out one verse and say, aha, that could mean this or that could mean that. It's kind of like if you ever read a tweet from someone's interview or a little snippet from an article, and you're like, wow, how could that person say that thing? Then you try to read the full interview, and now you get the whole story, and you're like, oh, that's not what they meant at all. That's why context is so important. So when we're studying the book of Ephesians, when we're studying discourse, we want to say, ah, this is what the person is trying to say. And the great thing about discourse in the Bible is usually the author is going to say, therefore, or for this reason. So as we study this today, that's kind of what we're going to look for. So look with me, if you will, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. All right, that's good news. We've been given every spiritual blessing. Tell your friends. What does that mean, though? What does it mean that we've been given every spiritual blessing? Well, the good news about discourse is the author's going to tell us why or what that means. It says there in verse 4 that we are going to be holy and blameless in his sight. If you are here last week, we talked about holiness. What does it mean to be holy, that God is holy? It means that he is separate, that he is other, that he's beyond all this brokenness and suffering and sorrow of this world. He is holy. And what's so shocking about God's holiness is what is he doing for us? What is Paul telling us? What's the spiritual blessing? We also are going to be holy. One day we are going to be beyond all this, beyond the suffering, the pain, the sorrow. We will be holy like God because of what Jesus has done for us. Paul keeps going here in verse 4. It says, In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. It's good news for us. It keeps getting better. We're gonna be adopted, or we are adopted as sons of Jesus Christ. We are the children of God. Now, I'm assuming that most of us in here fall into that Gentile category, right? We weren't born into the chosen people, the people of Israel, the children of Abraham. But there's good news for us because of Jesus Christ. Now, we are the children of God. This is great, and why do we get this? It's God's grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. We don't deserve this. We don't deserve to be children of God, but because of Jesus Christ, now we are sons and daughters of God. This is good news for us. Keeps getting better. Look in verse seven. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. We talked about this at Easter. We are bought with the price. That price being Jesus' blood. We've been redeemed. That's what it means to be redeemed. Is it means to be purchased. We ran up the bill. We've sinned, but good news. Jesus Christ has paid the price. His blood, his death, has covered our sins. So why does it say He's had to lavish His grace on us? Well, it's because we're so sinful. He's got to co- cover all that with His grace with his death on the the cross for us. So we've been forgiven. He's lavished his grace on us. Keeps going in verse 8. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. So what's the mystery here? Why does it use this language, mystery? Well, if you were reading the whole book of Ephesians in one sitting, which probably is what they would have done, you'd come to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, where it says the mystery that needed to be solved, the mystery that was relayed to Paul and the other apostles is that Gentiles now can be saved. That's us. That's me. That's you. This is good news for us. We can now be in. We can now be forgiven. Paul is hitting us over and over with the grace that we've been given, with the good news for us. This was the plan all along. This wasn't a, let's try this, you know, it not seems to be working, let's send Christ down there. The plan from the beginning, the mystery that was hidden until just the right time was that now all people would be saved through Jesus Christ. And now he is reigning. Everything is brought under one body, who's Jesus Christ. Paul continues on in verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. This one's a little bit interesting here when he uses that word we. He's been talking a lot about us. So who is he referring to here? I think he might be talking about the apostles or maybe the early church, those that first put their hope. And the reason I'll say that is because in verse 13, which we're about to read, he's going to be talking about you. So this is the glory. Paul and the other disciples are going to spread the good news. That's for God's glory. So they're the first ones to put their hope. But what about for us? Look at verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you are marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So what happens when we are saved, when we believe is that the Holy Spirit is given to us. And it says here that's a deposit. It's a, it's a guarantee that we know our future is secure, that we know where we're going because the Holy Spirit's been given us. And I will say, positionally, it's helpful to understand what happens after Christ dies on the cross, he rises from the grave, and where does he go? He ascends to heaven. He ascends to heaven, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, he's mediating before God for us, and what does he do? He sends the Holy Spirit. So it's very important that you understand that working in your heart, that your job or who's been given to you is the Holy Spirit, and we are to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's kind of a little sidebar not the overall point of what Paul is trying to say but before we go further there's one thing I have to address that is probably the theological elephant in the room for some of you that are theologians or many theologians or in neither category that's fine as well there's a word that happens a couple times in here that is predestination or choice what does that mean for those of you who are theologians you're like oh yes I know I've read Ephesians 1. And so at this point, typically what I'm supposed to do is to give you all the reasons why whichever view I have, which I'm not going to tell you, is the right view. And then I'm going to mischaracterize the other side and tell you why all the reasons why that's a bad idea and you shouldn't be that side. Now, I think you need to wrestle through and figure out what's going on. Predestination on one side could be, I'll give you a little bit of a characterization here for free. On one side it is God chooses those who will be those that believe. Now, some would say that's not fair. Why would God choose this person and not that person? But we know from Romans 1, we have all chosen to go astray from God. We all deserve to be separated from God forever. So it's God's grace that he chooses some of us to believe in him. On the other side, you have people that say, well, it's God foreknew who would believe, and those are the ones that he has chosen. Now, whichever side you're on, one thing that we all have to agree on throughout this passage is in no place do we see a part that we can say, you know what? There's me. That's what I did. That's why I'm saved. I did that part. I did that thing. That's why God has given this to me. It's all a work of God. Paul has been talking this for the last 11 verses. You have done nothing to be given what you've been given. If you walk through each of those verses, you can almost quickly just summarize it, that he has blessed us in Christ. He chose us in him. He's forgiven us through his blood. He predestined us for his glory. We get and we get and we get, and he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. Paul is hammering this home. You have to understand all the things that God has done for you. Not because you deserved it or because you earned it. You did nothing. But what's the point of what Paul's trying to tell us here? What do we need to take home about this? What is the the purpose of God's power? Why are we reading Ephesians 1? Well, I mentioned it earlier. The great thing about this course is the author is probably going to tell you exactly what you need to do with it. Let's look at verse 15. For this reason, basically, All the things I've just said, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and this is the first point for today, so that you may know him better. The first point of what I want you to understand about God's power is you have to know what God's power has done for your past. You have to know what God's power has done to forgive you, to sanctify you, to make you righteous, to forgive you, to to give you life with God. I think about this myself as a parent. Maybe some of you parents in the room would understand this. For those of you that aren't parents, maybe you've Had an event and whatever it might be, a point where you're doing all this work and then someone who is just kind of grumpy or frustrated comes up to you with their complaints. Have you ever had the thought that you just would like to say to them, If you only knew all the stuff that I've done for you? Right? If you knew, you think about your kids, all the times I've got up early to take care of you, to take you to this thing or to do that thing, how long I've had to stay up late. You were sick, you were tired. I did this, and I've given, and I've given, and I've given. If you only knew what I've done for you. In some sense, it's kind of like that with God. If we only knew all the things that he's done for us before we were even born, when we look at God and say, why is this not working out well? This is your fault, or why don't you do this for me, or why don't you do that? Do we forget all the things that God has done for us? you have to know how God's power has overcome your past. The second point is this, taken from verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the Satan's. So, What we're seeing here is now it's just not about what you need to know. And I like that Paul has this kind of twofold prayer. He's not just saying, get this through your head. Just tell yourself to think the right things. That's very important. You have to know what God has done in your past. But he also wants to engage our heart. Not the thing that's just pumping blood through our body. It's your emotions, your feelings. That in spite of everything that's going on in this world or the difficulties that maybe you're having with your kids or marriage or whatever, it may be, fill in the blank there, that you can have hope. And what is that hope in? Well, it says the riches of his glorious inheritance, that we are heirs. What does that mean? That means that we know our future has been secured. That we are for sure going to spend eternity with God in heaven. So we didn't know what God has done in our past, but you cannot forget, you cannot move forward if you don't have hope, not wishing, not wondering, hope that you know for certain that he has secured your future. The third and final point we take is from the end of verse 19 there. And his incomparably great power, our key word for today, His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. When Christ is risen from the dead, Mike talked about this a few weeks ago, in some sense, it is the ultimate proof that he is who he said he is. That he came back from the dead, he called it, he said, I'll be back in a few days if you kill me. It's a demonstration of his power. That if someone comes back from the dead and no one has done that but Christ or by Christ, it's an example of what he has overcome. That God's power has the potential to change all things in our lives. Things with our kids or things in this world that we dislike or things in our job. That's what God's power can do and is capable of. But how often do we step back and say, look, God, I I know that you've forgiven me. I know where my hope is, what my future is. Can you change this thing? How often do we pray and say, God, I need help right here. Do we allow God's power into our everyday life? But maybe on the other side, you can say, well, what about when things don't work out? Why do I suffer? Why is there hardship? Why is there difficulty if God is so powerful? Well, nowhere throughout scriptures does it ever say that once you believe, all your problems go away. That once you believe, you're gonna get everything that you want that once you believe your marriage is going to be fine, your kids are going to be great, and everything's going to be perfect for you. In fact, in John 16, Jesus says, in this world, you will have troubles. Not you won't have troubles. In this world, you will have troubles. But he says, take heart. I've overcome the world. That was the night that he was betrayed, and the next day he would be crucified. Why would Jesus say... Take heart, I've overcome the world. If the next day they're going to kill him. Because Jesus is not saying all your problems go away because of his power. So, in some sense, to say to Jesus, well, why is it not working out? Why isn't this going well for me? is the same as those people that saw him on the cross and said, he couldn't even save himself. He saved others, but he can't save himself. They misunderstood his purpose. Jesus didn't come here to die on the cross so that all your problems would go go away. He died on the cross so that you would know that you're forgiven. He died on the cross so that you would have hope that your future is secured. And that it's possible, and he's not a genie granting your every wish, that we have power in our everyday lives. But do we believe it? I would encourage you as you think about allowing God's power in your everyday life, troubles at work, stop, pray, God, God, help me understand what to do. With your kids or in your marriage, Lord, help me know what to say. Help me love, help me serve, help me keep giving because of your power through me. See problems on the news or troubles in this world, does it just make you angry or does it make you pray? God, we need your power. May you work things out. In closing, I'll say that we are not powerful. We can't do whatever we want to do whenever we want it to do it because that's what we want to do. But it's my hope that you understand that you know someone who's powerful. You know someone who can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it because that's what he wants. And you know what he did with his power? He's forgiven you. You know what he's done with your future? He's secured it in heaven. You have the power to bring him in your everyday life. What's most fascinating about this passage, I encourage you to read it again, is three or four times it says that he does this for his pleasure. He does this for his glory. You know what God wants to do with his power? He wants you. That's his desire. He wants you to know what he's done for you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to spend eternity with you in heaven. That's his desire. Will you allow his power in your everyday life? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a powerful God. All the things that you've done for us. I pray, God, that as we go from here, we would have hope, hope in what our future is. May we acknowledge your power and what you can accomplish But thank you, Lord Jesus, what you've already accomplished on the cross for us. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.